You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. Tell me you love me. I need a good laugh. I'm holy water. You need a good bath. Whiskey and perfume. You had a nightcap. Now how about that? I've got a new friend. A perfect stranger. He's got a bullet with your name in the chamber. I'm body organ. Rearranger. You feel my With Jay Dubs and Rocky. And Nora. We're broadcasting live from the Podcast Detroit studios in Rock in Royal Oak, Michigan. Be sure to find us at podcastdetroit.com. What time is it? It's Nooner time. Better bring me a mirror. Happy hump day. Happy hump day. Hump day. <laughs> hump day. So, Rocky. What's up, J-Dub? Clearly, you have a lot to say. You started another podcast show, Cheating I, on Me. I did. What? I know. We started the dope-ass dream show with uh, my buddy Chad Pringle. Yeah? Um, yeah. He's I, a professional podcaster. He is, a pro- he is so good. You know he has like five shows? Yeah, he does. He's awesome. He's and he's actually best. going to a podcasting convention at the end of the month in Vegas. Yeah. I'm excited for so, him. So. I, I'm, I have to be honest with you, though. I, I listened to it, the first one. Okay. And it I was, haven't listened no, to No, no. It. it was great. But okay. I'm just shocked that you're actually... You wanted Talking to do another much? one. I know. It's like, <laughs> well, I can never get a word in edgewise with you and Nora. Oh, so yeah? oh, I had to nice. start a different oh, show. Oh, is that what it is? <laughs> you had to go out and do your yeah, own show. Yeah, the two of you talk too much. So, <laughs> Oh, no. Well, congratulations. Thanks. So what's the show about? Uh, it's the Dope Ass Dream Show. So we're just interviewing people with dope ass dreams. So it's very, it's similar to the Nooner Show and mm-hmm. like, uh, I guess, content, like, but it's a little... I don't have to be a, as PC, so. Yeah, I listen yeah. to it, I know. With my mom. Yeah, so. a little edgier. <laughs> That's okay. But how come yeah. they didn't edit all the F-bombs out? Oh, I asked them to keep those in. And in fact, we just <laughs> yeah. put a few more Enhanced. in. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just because I knew you were listening. Oh, yeah, so. okay. Right. No, it was really good. So when is that show? Uh, it's every Thursday night, so uh, at 7 o'clock. Okay. So, yeah, you know, we actually had, we had, so it was our first show, and we had so much fun. And then, yeah. so, um. You know, I'm a, a Marvel nerd, yes. so I didn't see the new movie. And we talked about this, too, on the show. I don't like seeing movies when they first come out because I don't like how many people are in the theater. Oh. And he likes going to see them when they first come out because he loves that everybody is there. Is, yeah, it's like a really? Marvel, you know, it's mm-hmm. like a Marvel junkie. But I'm like, I'm more of like a Monday at noon uh-huh. with the early bird special. <laughs> like They have it even louder because we can't hear it. So it's no. So and yeah, but it was really good. So we went and saw the movie after because I told him I hadn't seen it. Yeah, yet. what movie so, did you go see? Uh, the new Mar- uh, Marvel movie. So the Endgame. Oh. Oh, okay. So, came out, so it was pretty exciting. Oh, it was really okay. good. Yeah. So I heard uh, he was doing a little trivia. Yeah. That was fun. good. A lot of fun. Well, good. Congratulations. Yeah, so every Thursday. Yep. Every Thursday at seven. At seven. On Podcast Detroit. What is it? Yep. Studio One? Yep. Studio One. Okay. So cool. yeah, we were right here. I sat in my spot, my normal spot. You did? Yeah. Oh, I know. I told him, I was you. like, I don't know if, if I, I might have to switch it up. Oh. For, Where'd for that show. It? He sat next to me. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, All right. But yeah, we'll have, we've, uh, uh, I, let's think. Um, we have Matt Matthew Shea is going to be our first guest uh, in a couple weeks. So he is the guitar player for No Resolve, and he owns Rock Relentless Clothing Line. So we're really excited to have mm-hmm. him on uh, in a couple. Cool. Weeks. I like those. Yeah. Um, the whole 
He's the one with the Rock Relentless, the the clothing line. Yep. Yeah, but what it doesn't are those the shirts you guys yep. wear that yeah. say have the hate crossed off? Yep. The love and, not judge. Yeah. Oh, love not yep. judge. Yeah. Those are pretty yeah, they're, cool. They're really cool. His his designs are pretty incredible. I like so the I'm name excited Rock to, Relentless yeah. too. Yeah. So I'm excited to interview him and mm-hmm. find where does out he how sell we, those online? It's an oh, online he does? store. Yep. Oh, okay. So it's pretty cool. He's been doing that for a while. Huh? Yeah. So we're gonna. Dig into that. But I have a little, speaking of dreams. Yes. And, you know, our Nooner show, we're always talking about taking the leap of faith. Yes. And, uh-huh. um, and nowadays with social media, you can really be a star doing anything. Right. So I found this. Well, I didn't find. I have known about this person. So have you heard of Dr. Pimple Popper? Oh, yeah. We're not going there. <laughs> we're not talking about that. Yes, we are. So she has no. three, 5.3 million YouTube subscribers. Are you serious? 3.3 million Instagram followers. And now she has a show on TLC. Are you kidding? Yeah. Which, I mean, she is awesome. Like, she's so cool. Like, just as a person, like, she's so sweet. But who would follow that? Everybody. I get, like, do lo- you follow Yes, that? of course I do. You do? I swear I was a dermatologist in another life. I love well, those Well, clearly videos. 5.3 million people think that. Yeah. Then. It's crazy, though. I mean, she's building this empire. And, like, that's, wow. like, who would think to, like, post that? But if you think about right. it, everybody loves those, like, <laughs> popping sets. Yeah, right. they do. Like, you know? But and so everybody. <laughs> <laughs> not, not our guest is like, uh, no. no. Um, but, well, let me ask you this. I wonder the demographics of her um, followers. I do too. I, you know, I Does didn't really say? look into that. No, but I mean, I just, I watch her videos. Like, I wonder, is it more guys, more girls? I, I just younger, have a weird older. feeling that it's more women. I don't mm-hmm. know, but I'm not sure. That just would be my, I don't know, maybe because I'm a girl and I love those videos. <laughs> you do? Yes. I oh, do. Man. I'm like... They're like the weird, like, oh, compilation, like the oddly satisfying, like, that's I just, guess. yeah, it's yeah. weird, but I love them. Wow. But yeah, she's like, I mean, she's a doctor, so she's yeah. already successful, but now she's got these, like, skincare collaborations. Would and- you love to find out, though, how did she know to do a show like that, that that would be successful? Well, she just started posting them online, like, just oh, like, like on her yeah, own, own account, and now her... All everything like she was taking videos. Yeah, of she was having them. And yeah, putting... and just like her conversations with the client and her banter, and really? she teaches you about them. You know, like about each like sister, whatever, uh-huh. and like it's just crazy. I'm like, wow. In every video, like her YouTube channel is huge, and they have hundreds of thousands of views on all of them. Are you serious? Yes, it's crazy. Jess, do you ever watch those? No, that no. grosses me out. <laughs> I don't know. It doesn't gross. It, I mean, it kind of does, but not really. I don't know. It just, it's one of those things that either you're obsessed with it or you're like, yeah. ew. Wow. Yeah, There's I think no it in is. Between. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like that's true. Yeah. I, I think, I think I would have been a good dermatologist. You... I would have been. I would have been a pimple popper for sure. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, we're glad you didn't choose. Well, well, I shouldn't say we're glad. I mean, because no, that's she's pretty successful. Yeah. So yeah. Well, whatever you your dream is. Yeah. It's just like you. Can, yeah. You could be. So crazy instead of going to your concerts, we would go watch me pop pimples. Yeah. And put it up on YouTube. And get squirt. Oh. <laughs> That's not cool. All right. We're not talking about this anymore. I'm not taking you out to dinner. <laughs> oh, come on, Jada. Oh, anyway. All right. So um, every Thursday. Yep. Every Thursday, the Dope Ass Dream Show mm-hmm. is at 7 o'clock on Podcast Detroit. Okay, cool. Yep. All right. Well, we've got a, a really dope ass guest here today. Yeah, you can't steal that from us, Jackie. With, oh, I, I didn't <laughs> steal it from you guys with a dope ass. He's living his dream. He's not just pursuing it he's actually living it he's making it happen so should we get to that we should get to that all right thank you for listening to the new show we appreciate your support and we hope you get inspired to take your leap of faith don't forget to subscribe to The Nooner Show wherever you listen to podcasts you can like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram at The Nooner Show This segment is designed to showcase the stories of talented and gutsy individuals who had a wish and found a way to make it happen. They set goals, overcame obstacles, turned setbacks into comebacks. Their stories are unique, interesting, and most of all, inspiring. Drew Schultz is one of those people whose passion for music and learning fueled his career. He lives and breathes the the music of Motown. 
Starting out as a drummer from Ohio, Drew moved to Detroit and at the youthful age of 19 began playing and touring with the legendary group The Four Tops. His relentless commitment and innate curiosity connected him to many of the greats, including performing behind The Temptations, The Dramatics, and The Queen of Soul, Aretha Franklin, just to name a few. Drew credits his many mentors for his industry success. Today, Drew is passing along his knowledge and and leaving his footprint in the sand by mentoring aspiring musicians. He teaches at the prestigious Detroit Institute of Music Education School in Detroit. In addition to that, he's also very involved with Motown Museum and continues to write and release his own music. He's here today to share his incredible story. Welcome to the Nooner Show, Drew Schultz. Thanks for having me. (laughs) Thank you. Too kind. No. (laughs) Your story is really intriguing, fascinating to me. Um, it's incredible that you're so young. Yeah. I was yeah. expecting somebody who's done as much as I you know. to be like walking Aww. in with a yeah. cane and like. <laughs> <laughs> so typically what we do is we say, okay, tell us, you know, about what you're doing right now. And then we work backwards, but we're not going to do that today. What we want to do is we want to start with how does a 19 year old drummer end up touring with the four taps? Because that's not typically how people start off in music. <laughs> Well, I mean, I'm not sure if I would say how that that's how I started off. It's one of those things where I was fortunate to start really young. I started playing in third grade. Wow. Um, now, my, now, let me ask you, were you taking lessons at that time? Oh, yeah. Okay. My, my, uh, my mom <laughs> my mom was a music teacher, oh. uh, had her degree in piano and voice accompaniment. Wow. Uh, my grandmother oh. taught piano. So my first music lessons were from my mom and my grandma. Oh, wow. wow. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and my dad was a, a guitar player in a band that, uh, toured opening for the Love and Spoonful and, wow. uh, went on to become a lawyer. My mom's a judge. So, so neither are professional musicians, but both. Really? Uh, yeah. But, but both have music as a huge part of their life. Still. Yeah. Um, so they, so they didn't discourage you then from taking that path. Not at all. I mean, there was healthy questioning. You know what I mean? As mm-hmm. any good parent should. Right. Because um, even as far into it as I've gotten, it's still one of those things where the entertainment industry is – it's up and down all the time. Right. And, and and I like your guys' process of what's the wish, what's the way, and what's in the way. Right. And I feel like in any artistic career path, the wish is constantly changing and the way is constantly in question. Right. Um. So, yeah, it, it's – they definitely had questions for me. But never questioned my answers to those questions. And did you? Did you? Um, were the answers? Did they come easy for you? Yeah. Like when did yeah. you know that this is really what you were going to do, or what you wanted to do for a career? Um, and this goes back to to the first question of how I got into it. There was a movie called Standing in the Shadows in Motown, and it's oh, a documentary. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's about the Funk Brothers, and the Funk Brothers are the band that played the instruments on almost every Motown hit you can think of from mm-hmm. Detroit. Um, and I saw that in theaters. I was probably in middle school, and they just showed it again recently at the Redford Theater uh, oh. for the the Freep Film Festival. Okay, just this year. And I went and saw it, and it was the first time I'd watched it in quite some time. And um, what struck me was that movie is just as much about the friendship of those musicians as it is about their musical accomplishments and what they did. And I definitely remember seeing it in theaters and seeing them in that movie and saying, I want to be doing that when I'm their age. Wow. Um, Now, now what about your circle of friends at that age? (laughs) <laughs> that was definitely a weird thing. I had a weird circle of friends. I still do, and I love them all. Uh, but yeah, I mean, when I was hanging out with my friends in high school, it was Rage Against the Machine and Slipknot. And, yeah, and right. Um, you know, the pop of the day. So the Backstreet Boys. Right, and, right. Uh, I mean, I had had a friend who still is obsessed with film scores, and so he got into all these things by um, John Williams and uh, I'm forgetting names of some of the, the real famous film score uh, composers. And so I had a kind of offbeat group of friends listen to a little bit of everything. Mm-hmm. So although we all kind of made fun of each other because we had the one person in the group who listened to metal, the one person who listened to hip hop, the one person who listened to film music, I was the one who was listening to 
you know, 60s soul music. So, Which I yeah. don't picture that in yeah. Ohio for somebody <laughs> that's in middle school. I just, you know. So how did you, so you started off pretty young mm-hmm. and you knew in your heart that this was going to be something you really wanted to do. And then how did you, at 19, did you tour with the Four Tops at that young? Yeah, I started playing with them when I was 19, the first first couple of shows I did with them. Are, um, are they from, they're not from Ohio, are they? No, they're from Detroit. Um, but it, it was it was kind of a weird path. My mom still plays in the band. They play a ton of Motown songs. And when they had cassettes, they, oh, would, yeah. they would dub these cassettes based on the genre. Mm-hmm. So they had ballads and slow songs. They had up-tempo dance songs. They had all whole cassettes of just Beatles songs that they were learning. Then they had Motown cassettes. Um, and I would steal the Motown cassettes. I can't I can't tell you what attracted me to those more than the rest. But um, So I grew up knowing the music, went to uh, New York University for jazz performance um, oh, wow. as, a, as a major. And I had had a um, – I had had a, a habit of talking my way to, into meeting people that I really wanted to meet. Because when you're a kid, it's cute. You know what I mean? <laughs> when you're young and you're like – you're a, a you know, 15-year-old kid trying to get yourself introduced to a 70-year-old soul icon. It's like you're saying there's this disconnect of like who's this kid and how does he even know my name right now? But But even that part, how – a 15-year-old kid doesn't usually have the confidence to connect. Yeah. So where did – how did that happen? Like where did that come from? It came from my dad. Big time. My dad used to call me the weasel. <laughs> and uh, there was a band called the Yellow Jackets, a jazz ensemble, uh, a quartet. And they were one of my favorite bands early on. They were the first concert that we went to as a family. There was a show that I wanted to see as opposed to something that my parents were taking wow. me to. Wow. Uh, and this was eighth grade. And um, they were playing the Cleveland Art Museum. And after the show, I had brought this drum head that I wanted them all to sign. And – they were tearing down their own instruments. And as somebody who plays shows, you know mm-hmm. that, that you know, at a certain level, you don't expect that. Right. At, yeah. at a certain level, like, you don't see these big-name bands tearing down their own gear. Yeah. Right. And they were. And, and I was afraid to go up and talk to their drummer because he was packing up his gear. And yeah. my dad was like, go and talk to him. You know, go and at least introduce yourself to him. And I was like, no, he's packing up and blah, blah, blah. And my dad said, if you don't go and talk to these people, I'm not. You can walk home. Oh, wow. <laughs> wow. And, uh, you know, jokingly, but yeah, but yeah. he was saying we paid a lot of these pushing tickets. You. So, yeah. you know, go and, go <laughs> and talk to these people. Yeah. And so I did. And luckily it was the Yellow Jackets because they are some of the most welcoming people I've ever met. They wow. got pictures with me, signed the drum head, kept in touch throughout the years. Wow, their really? website and stuff. Yeah. That's I amazing. mean, they were wonderful. And that first experience kind of sparked that like oh well i met the yellow jackets now i want to it's meet it's not hard you next can, person now yeah. i want to meet the next person wow yeah that and you sure have met a lot of people <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, and with the four tops initially it was just that i just wanted to meet them because i loved that music and i loved i loved the band at as it existed at that time you know i was all into the the kind of legacy of that group because they stayed together same four guys for 47 years or something wow like that. Something like that. It was it was mm-hmm. the same four guys until Lawrence Payton passed away. Then it was the same three guys until Levi Stubbs had a stroke and couldn't tour. Then it was the same two guys until Obie Benson passed away. Wow. And now it's just Duke. But it yeah. it was literally like till death do us part with those guys. Wow. And you, you don't see that in no. bands very often. No, no, no. no. And so as someone who was considering music, the Four Tops were like my career idols because they kept that group going with the same guys forever and i just respected that right so yeah did you move to detroit then at at 19 no so so yeah i I got to meet them i it's it's just a a weird story um there was a trumpet player named mart avant uh who was on facebook and this was when facebook was relatively new Mm -hmm. and he played with them a lot and would post pictures of him playing with them and I, i sent him a message saying hey i love the tops i'm a fan of their drummer uh, their drummer was a guy named Benjamin Corbett, Butch, everybody called him. And I was like, I want to meet Butch and take a drum lesson. So Mart put me in contact with Butch. Suddenly Butch is calling me saying, hey, I hear you want to take a drum lesson from me. We're going to be in New wow. York. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And and I was lucky to be to be someone who was proactive in meeting the people I wanted to meet 
not trying to play with them, but just mm-hmm. as a fan at first. And it was in a position where social media was so new that people of that level were on it and responding. Because mm-hmm. nowadays, you know, Jay-Z is not running his right. Facebook. Yeah. Right. He right. might be. Right. He might be. But a lot of these artists, right. their labels, their managers, their representatives do a lot of the PR for mm-hmm. them. But this was when... I mean, when I first met the Funk Brothers, it was because their manager had his phone number on his website. And wow. you just don't see right. that anymore. Right, right, right. Um, and so, you know, I, I was lucky enough to be young, have a computer, and <laughs> not be afraid to cold call these people. And uh, Now, it, were you fearless like that in other areas of your life? Or it, was it Absolutely not. You, no? <laughs> <laughs> I'm still not fearless like that in other ways in my life. Yeah. That's what I was wondering. Or were you just so passionate about music that I, I think that's you what were it worried was. about it? I think it was just that I was so passionate about it and I had like three back-to-back-to-back really positive experiences meeting bands. First was the Yellow Jackets. Second was a group called Bela Fleck and the Flecktones. There's a bassist named Victor Wooten who I was just loved anything he played um, and had a similar experience as the Yellow Jackets. Just like went up and knocked on their tour bus behind some venue because my dad was like, go and do, go knock on the." <laughs> and next thing I know, me and my buddy are getting pulled in their tour bus and they're showing wow. me all the gear and st- it was great you How know cool and so i had a couple experiences like that with yeah the yellow jackets the flectones and then the funk brothers um that really instilled that in me so much so that when it didn't work out and i wasn't able to meet somebody i wasn't like it didn't hold me back from trying again the next time mm-hmm. right because you already had enough experiences where you got the yes exactly mm. yeah yeah this is a good wow. way to put it i got the yeses early on wow yeah. okay so you Get with the four tops. And what do you tell your parents? I'm going on tour? I mean, at first I was just playing hand percussion with them whenever they came through New York or Ohio or I'd I'd come to Detroit and play when they were playing in Detroit because it was always a special occasion. Um, So at first it was just spot dates. But when Butch stepped away from drums and he and their musical director both were like, go go on and do this. You know, because when Butch stepped back, I was like, scared when i got the call because i i loved butch i still love the guy Mm -hmm. and and i called him and i was like you know what should i do and he's like i'm not playing drums for them anymore they're gonna get a different drummer no matter what it might as well be you go for it and and so when that call came to join them full-time on drums yeah i did call my parents i did have a moment of am i ready to do this i was going into my senior year at nyu Wow. And so I had to move to Detroit and, and essentially drop out of school for a while to do it. Wow. So it was definitely a big choice. Um, I want to take yeah. it back, though. So when you got that call from Butch, and did you go to your lesson? Did you guys do a lesson? What was that experience like for you? <laughs> I was in the Union Square Kmart in New York buying toilet paper. Because <laughs> uh, you were so nervous? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, thank goodness. I just happened to be in the toilet paper yeah. aisle because I pooped my pants immediately. No, no, no. And, and yeah, I got the call and you know he's like, hello, this is Benjamin Corbett from the Four Tops. I understand you want to wow. get... And, and, and he didn't have time to teach um, because, you know, those guys, when they tour, it's you get in to the town, you sound check, you play the show, you sleep, maybe, maybe you jump back on the bus and you're off to the next city. It's mm-hmm. it's these one-nighters a lot of the time. And so he said, well, I don't have the time to teach a full lesson, but come to sound check and, and come and hang out and you can play and I'll give you some pointers. And, it, and you guys had not wow. met. He, we had never met. Butch was just that kind of guy. Wow, yeah. that's amazing. Wow. Yeah. He was, and, and, and Butch himself was big into education big into he's an interesting guy he's he uh lives in the st louis area and just as much as he's passionate about drums he's passionate about archery and golf and bicycling and and he's just a very he's into the technical side of things now now did you did you know this about him before you met him like did you i just liked his drumming yeah so so you just liked his drumming he invites you to sound check and you just show up yeah, and it was at Carnegie Hall. Wow, <laughs> really? Yeah, yeah. So I always joke that the first time I got to play with the Tops was on stage at Carnegie Hall, which was only for a sound check. But it I doesn't still, matter. It yeah. So cool. yeah, yeah. Wow. And, and, and their musical director was a guy named George Roundtree, and Tree got his start because of Uriel Jones from the Funk Brothers, who was one of those early yeses that I I had, who mm-hmm. kind of wow. took me in, and so we had that connection. And, and I think the combination of 
the Funk Brothers connection, they knew I was a huge geek for the music. So they could call Ain't No Woman Like the One I Got and I could ask Trio, do you want to play it like you guys played it last year or in 1978 oh, wow. or in 1982? Wow. Yeah, I could, oh, you know, because wow. I was such a geek about that band and their music. Mm-hmm. And then they knew I was a music student so I could read and write mm-hmm. charts and all that kind of stuff. Um, how, how many hours did you spend on music growing up, like in middle school? Um. I don't even know. And through high school. I mean, and even today, like when I'm doing the most basic thing, if it's writing emails, you know, in my office, I'm, I'm at least listening to music. And there's some subconscious um, osmosis process that mm-hmm. I think happens mm-hmm. when you, you have music on all the time, whether you're actively listening or passively listening. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I still I, I do believe in that 10,000 hours. Yeah, idea. that's what I was. Yeah. Wondering. And there, I've got my strong suits and my 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 weak points, as everybody does. Um, what are your strong points? Uh, musically, I, I would say the the sight reading, writing, some of the more academic elements of it, conceptualizing it and articulating it. Um, I'd like to think composing. I think some of my weaker points are the. I'm not a flashy drummer. I can't flip sticks and blow people's minds with a drum solo and mm-hmm. and I don't have the fireworks. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it's just it different different strokes, you know. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so you so you go to sound check and then you end up mm-hmm. Did you have to audition or to How get, did that evolve into that next yeah. phase? So um <laughs> <laughs> I heard the story way after the fact, but supposedly Tree, George Roundtree, uh, was advocating so strongly for me to be in that group after having known me, you know, sat in on hand percussion once they got to, once they realized I knew the show and could mm-hmm. play and all that kind of stuff. Um, that he called me, Tree called me and said, you know, come and do this, come and move to Detroit and take this, this touring gig. And I called Butch and Butch, same thing, Butch said, yeah, go for it. And I packed up my bags, moved to Detroit, um, only had a week to do it. They said, if you want to do this, you know, the bus leaves from Detroit in a week. Wow. What I did not know is that Tree told me to do that before running it by the group. (laughs) (laughs) I learned this, like like I said, years and years down the line. at a memorial for Tree, he sadly passed away a while back. And one of the one of the four tops was speaking at his memorial, told the story, and it had me crying. Wow! Um, turns out that that yeah, he he had me move to Detroit, and then he called the rest of the the guys because Tree was their conductor and musical director, wrote the charts, called the shots for the band. Um, so it was technically his call on yeah. who got hired, and so he essentially called the guys and said, "Yep, it's." It's Drew. You know, he's young. He knows the parts. He can play the parts. He can read. He can write. He's a studied musician. Uh, and he already moved to Detroit. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was pretty great. So, uh, and I didn't know any of that going in. So, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, and then a week later, you went on tour? Yep. Yeah. We went on for, I think it was a couple week run out in California. And one of my first gigs with them was playing like, Universal Studios out in Los Angeles or something like that. Yeah, it it was. And what was that like for you? That whole experience. It was surreal. Oh, I bet it was surreal. What What do you remember the most from from that time? Like, what has stayed with you? I I think that. So Tree was a fan of that music the way I was a fan of it, Mm -hmm. and I think that the the most fun moments, other than just playing the show and and getting the chance to play my favorite music with my favorite band was, you know, Tree and I would put headphones on and, and just geek out about music. And he, wow. he wow. it was weird things. Tree knew Thriller, the Michael Jackson album, from start yeah. to finish, every single song, every single part that every single instrument played, all the vocal harmonies, every little flourish, because he was an arranger. He was all into arranging horns and strings and that kind of thing and quincy jones was one of his heroes and quincy did a lot of that work for thriller um and so just those moments of 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 seeing my heroes geek out on their heroes yeah was was really fun yeah it was really fun wow and i can't imagine going i mean did you play in bands before this whole experience 
Absolutely. So, but in, I'm assuming just like local bands in Ohio at small venues in the area. I mean, I'm sure, was it, was it for thousands of people? No, no, definitely not. (laughs) Okay. So Uh, yeah, you go from what, how typically musicians start out to, you know, yeah, yeah. I mean, these big stadiums. My my first gig with the Tops was in Atlantic City. I played playing hand percussion, and so that was nice because doing the hand percussion gig, you know, when you're playing percussion, there's less pressure on you in the standpoint of the band. It's not your job to necessarily keep the clock for everybody else. Mm-hmm. Um, although my students would roll their eyes because they would know that I would say it's everybody's job to yeah. keep the clock. <laughs> um, Someone, yeah, when yeah. you're listening. Guitar players, <laughs> yeah. you're not off the yeah. hook. Yeah. Uh, it's not just the drummer's job. <laughs> but, um, but, but, you know, you're able to kind of be the icing on the cake yeah. when you're playing tambourine and shaker and conga. It's important that you're in time. Mm-hmm. Right. But the group's not relying on you for massive responsibilities like, right. like a drummer um, or a bass player or, or any tonal instrument that can play chords and all that kind of stuff so so i did get an easing into their show by doing percussion first Mm -hmm. um but as far as just sheer crowd numbers yeah i I had never done anything like that although with at nyu i I was really focused on starting my own band because i was in their jazz performance program but Mm -hmm. i I was not a huge jazz musician i mean i love jazz Mm -hmm. yeah but i really love soul funk r&b yeah yeah and um and I, you know, I, I got a little bit laughed at in the jazz program for that. So I started my own band mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. at NYU. Um, and so luckily, some of that stage fright aspect had been worked out of me a little bit. Because mm-hmm. um, when you run your own band, it's like, it's a whole different thing than being a sideman. When you right. run your own band, you're sweating about how many tickets you sold and how right. many people are going to show up. Right. And, and there's you know, right. some of those nerves you get a little bit used to. Yeah. Um, what What did your yeah. bandmates say when you said, uh, hey, I'm, I'm uh, going to Detroit to <laughs> go on tour with the Four Taps? They, they, are, they are still some of my best friends. And I have – That's great. I, I wanted to be a cartoonist when I was real, real young. And I still have a dumb show poster that I did the art for with little caricatures of all of us. Oh, and I had this did? show poster and they signed it for me. And I got it sitting in my office. Wow. It's a picture of them. And uh, my buddy Gent, who played bass, was like, best luck in Detroit. You know, Aww. go out there. And, and, and yeah, so how, it was. How amazing is and that? And we still keep in touch. I'm playing with them this month later. Wow. Going out oh. to New York. Yeah. So I was yeah. just going to ask you, are they still in music? Mm-hmm. Yep. So the, the band's now called Favorite States. And we actually just released a new single in February, uh, called Music in Your Love. We have, I think it's an eight-track album that it's wow. coming out soon. Um, when I did the Back to Class project of all my original tunes with a lot of my heroes featuring on them, they were the band playing all the okay. instruments. So, yeah, we keep, you know, we keep in touch and we keep as active as we can considering mm-hmm. that three of them are in New York, I'm in Detroit, one of us is in Minneapolis now. You know, wow. it, yeah. as mm-hmm. age does, we've kind of... Sure. Mm-hmm. All, but we keep in touch and actually one of them just called me like two seconds ago. Okay, <laughs> tell them that you're talking about them right now. Yeah, I, I should. I <laughs> you should. should put them on you should put them on speaker. <laughs> okay, so uh, after you tour with them, connect the dots for us. How did you get to where you're at today and what do you have going on? Yeah, I think that, that and it it goes back to that what's the wish mm-hmm. question that, that the Nooner show asks, where it's like when I was a kid, the wish was just, I want to be a drummer playing Motown music. And I got to do that for a while. But, you know, it's one of those things where when you're a touring sideman, those gigs eventually end. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so, you know, it's it's like when you come off the road from some massive tour, like when I would play with Aretha Franklin, I was playing percussion. No one's buying wow. a ticket for Aretha Franklin to go and see her timpani player. <laughs> and so you get back in town and you're back to playing cover gigs, playing wedding bands, playing wow. local places. And and so it's just one of the realities of the freelance music industry that you got to be versatile and open-minded, willing to do whatever comes your way mm-hmm. and, and kind of plug yourself in with that wish or that mountaintop goal mm-hmm. of eventually I want to be doing just this. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I started teaching lessons when I went back to school to finish my college degree. Did you go back to New York or mm-hmm. did you? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I went back to New York, uh, finished my degree and stayed there for about a year, year and a half, um, after school, just kind of saying, I'm going to be a freelance New York 
musician. And I was like, you know, I got this resume at that point. You know, by that point, I had played with a lot of the people who I had played with. And so I was like, yeah, I'm going to go finish my degree. I'll have my degree. I'll have the resume and I'll be a New York musician. But the reality was I ended up playing Sideman in three different bands, leading my own band, doing freelance recording sessions, working at a recording studio as an engineer and behind the desk scheduling sessions, doing mm -hmm. administrative stuff. And I was teaching lessons at a school in Staten Island, teaching lessons at a school in Brooklyn, and working administrative in a New York guitar school. Oh, wow. Ju wow. Just to make ends meet. Yeah. I was doing all these different things because you have to. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? It's either do a million things and say yes to all of them because it's music mm -hmm. or be a quote-unquote starving artist. Yeah. You know what I mean? Right. Um, and uh, I was way too proud to, to, to be a starving artist. It, for better or for worse, I was mm -hmm. too stubborn to to kind of give into that. And luckily, what I realized was that I love teaching, mm. and I kind of discovered that during that year and a half in yeah. New York that I really love teaching. See um, that that's where um, when you say that you were too proud, it I, see I wouldn't look at it that way. Mm. I would look at it as you took every opportunity because it's those opportunities that lead you to say you're too driven connect you yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah you're driven i mean and i think that it's stubborn in a different way you know some people are going to say i'm only going to write songs that speak to my soul and that are true you know introspective self-evaluations or societal evaluations i'm only going to be authentic to myself as an artist and you're taking a gamble. Right. If it pays off, it can really pay off. But if it doesn't pay off, it, it can be really hard emotionally, financially, right. all of it. Mm -hmm. And so – but what I think I was saying stubborn was more about I refuse to do anything outside of music. Mm -hmm. oh, so okay. I did not want to take a desk job or a, a, right. a job, you know – waiting tables or anything like that. My only question was, is it music? And if the answer was yes, I was going to be willing to, to give it a shot. And so I think that's what I meant by stubborn. I, I was oh, not okay. willing to even look outside of the mm -hmm. music wheelhouse for a home-based day job that would fund my passion projects, mm -hmm. Wow, which might have been a better decision wow. <laughs> at that time to find that home base. So did you ever have an, uh, a plan B? I don't think I did. I mean, I, I always figured... I, I had role models who had multiple roles. You know, you, are you guys familiar with The Roots, the band? Uh, yeah. hip-hop band? Oh, yeah. Questlove was a, an early professional role model for me because he's a drummer. He's a songwriter. Mm -hmm. He's a producer. Uh, he's obviously on the Jimmy Fallon show now as a band leader. Mm -hmm. But even before that, he was writing and producing tracks for Al Green and Earth, Wind & Fire mm -hmm. and all these other artists. He's a journalist. He uh, has a hand in the OK Player music journalism blog. He's written a book. He's written a cookbook. He DJs. Like Questlove oh. is one of those guys where wow. everybody knows him as a drummer, but he's way more than just a drummer. Right. Mm -hmm. um, uh, Maurice White from mm -hmm. Earth, Wind & Fire, mm -hmm. uh, the guy who sang the lead vocals on September and all these hits, mm -hmm. was their drummer first. Before, he was the band leader and the drummer, but he owned a record label. He wrote for uh, Barbara Streisand and The Emotions, oh, and wow. he... Uh, produced for all these different artists all while doing Earth, Wind & Fire. And David Garibaldi, the drummer for Tower of Power, has a massive educational career um, oh, wow. doing instructional books and videos and clinics. So I had all these role models who did more than just one thing. So I think my plan B was just to do all the things wow. as long as it was music. Wow. wow. So you discovered that you, you loved teaching. And is that what brought you to Detroit? Um, like permanently after, after finishing school, yeah, I, it was, I, it's it's a kind of a sad story, but um, Eddie Willis, the guitar player from the Funk Brothers, uh, was he contracted polio before the vaccine was widespread, oh, wow. um, and and he was in his eighties and had hit the point where he couldn't walk, couldn't, you know, lift himself out of bed, couldn't tour, couldn't play, and was not seeing royalties from these hits that he played on because they got paid by the, their time, not in residuals. Mm. And um, we did a big, massive benefit for him here in Detroit um, that my band from New York came and played, uh, and we recorded it and released it as a benefit for him. 
uh, actually finally released it in 2017, relatively recently. The the event was 2013. And um, it was just like this massive love fest of of all these people coming to show out for Eddie. And, and I saw all these people who I had worked with while I was in Detroit that I missed and loved and are of an older generation. And it was one of those things where I was like, New York might be the freelance music capital of the world alongside LA and Nashville, but only in Detroit am I going to go to a club and run into Spider Turner and Dennis Coffey and Melvin Davis Mm -hmm. and Pat Lewis and Yvonne Vernie and Carolyn Crawford and all these people who I personally love. And I was just like, why am I in New York? And and so I moved back to Detroit. Wow. (laughs) Amazing. Yeah. And um, I, gosh, we're unfortunately already running out of time. And we haven't even gotten into I'm sorry, you guys. No, no. no. Before we do, I do want to know, because yeah. you're teaching at Dime. Mm-hmm. How did you get into Dime as a teacher and, you know, and pursuing that part of your passion? Yeah. So when Dime popped up, um, they did this big press conference and their president, uh, Kevin Nixon, mm-hmm. got on microphone and said to the crowd that they were only hiring teachers from Detroit. They were not going to fly in instructors from out of state, which was a big show of solidarity for the city of Detroit, considering that they're from England. Right. Yeah. We've had them on our show. Oh, they're 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 amazing. And their resume speaks volumes. Multi-platinum albums on on worldwide releases. They could have flown people in for this college. And they were like, nope, it's the Detroit Institute of Music Education. And there was a photographer there who had photographed some... um, of the events that I had done for my own Detroit public schools benefit projects who, when he heard Kevin say that the, that he, that they're only hiring Detroit, he went up to them and was like, you should talk to Drew Schultz. Wow. Wow. No kidding. And so I had a job interview scheduled before I had even known that the school existed. I suddenly got a call and they were like, Hey, this photographer, Paul Warner said, we should meet you. Can you come in? We're starting a school. And and so I think I was maybe the third employee that Dime had before the school was open. I was, like we like we were saying, they hired me as a teacher, but I told them, well, let me help out in the interim. So I was recruiting students and overseeing auditions and doing, you know, PR and outreach work before the school even opened. Wow. And I've been involved since then in, in as many capacities as I can because wow. I love it. How long, ha- how long were you in Detroit before that opportunity came up? I think about a year, year about and a half. Year. So I was yeah. teaching at Access wow. Music Academy and I was, you know, I would do stuff for the Motown Museum. Uh, here and there. I did and now it. you're part, um, you, do you work for yep. Motown? Mm-hmm. Is that how that works with the museum? Yep. I'm one of okay. two of their program managers. Oh, wow. Um, uh, myself and Raina Baker. And so I oversee all the educational programs for the Motown Museum. So we actually hold summer camps. We have uh, two separate summer camps coming up, one for middle schoolers and one for high schoolers. Uh, we do workshops and master classes, spoken word poetry competitions. Yeah. and wow. vo- Yeah. So That's so cool. It's been a dream. Uh, it's just so cool. When you look back, and, and there's still so much more that I really want to get into, but unfortunately, we're going to have to have you back. <laughs> yeah. So we're going to have to Watch out. Drew. I will take you up on that. No, <laughs> seriously, because there's so much more that I really want to go get into. But um, when you look back so far at everything, how everything connected and how everything led to the next thing, are you... Are you blown away at how much you've experienced already? You're young. You know, I'm grateful for it. When I really step back, yeah, I, I, absolutely, I'm grateful for it. Um, and, and it's just one of those things where we're all caught up in the day-to-day right. climb. And we're right. all caught up in the trying to get to that whatever mountaintop is in your mind. Right. And as we know... Nobody climbs a mountain from top to bottom, bottom to top in a straight line. You you go in a zigzag pattern along right. the, the, the edge of the mountain, right? So you might be going this way, looking straight ahead, and your target is not in sight. But as long as you're moving up, that's all that really matters. Does that make sense? Yeah. Well. And so when I look back, I'm like, I've been very fortunate to, to, to get to move up. And, and But it's one of those things where like, you guys ever hear the saying, the same people you meet going up are the same people you meet going down? Have you guys ever heard that that saying? Same, yeah. Mm -hmm. So the same people you meet going up that mountain are the same Mm. people you meet going down, Mm. and nobody lives at the top of a mountain. Right. Nobody stays there. They plant their flag. Nobody lives there. Right. And and so it's this thing of 
you want to lift while you climb. You want to to right. people talk about enjoying the ride, and it's true, right? Because, and so because you never yeah. really do arrive. No, and even if you do, look at you know look at I don't even know who topped the charts, right? You know, two years ago, right, or three years ago, or four years ago, right. At the end of the day, the, those those goals have to be internal. So when I look back at all the things that I, I've done, I'm really grateful. Um, but I just want to keep doing what I love and and mm-hmm. and being stable. I'd rather be stable than at the top for a second. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. What you know? What do you think if you if because we have to wrap it up? But if you could only um, you know, give three words of advice or not words, but phrases, sentences, or um, mm-hmm. rules that you live by. You, di- you didn't get to where you're at right now because of luck. And I know you're saying you're fortunate, but it's not like somebody came and shined the light, light on you and said, you're going to get all this. So what do you think? What are the three things that you live by? I'll, I'll tell the ones that I try to live by. Mm-hmm. Um, the first one is a, a Bill Withers quote, and, and his thing is, "Don't cheat yourself out of the enjoyment of what you love." Oh wow! His thing is, I like that. You know, the music industry, in a lot of ways, is a popularity contest. Mm-hmm. And if you're judging yourself on your popularity, on how many records you sold, how many people came to your last show, how many likes you have on social media, how many shares the last post mm-hmm. you got, yeah. that type of self-judgment of external validation can cause you to to turn sour on the process of creating that art and right. just the pure enjoyment of getting on stage and playing music with your friends. Right. That's really good. Mm-hmm. And it's hard. Like I said, mm-hmm. I, I, I'm struggling to, to, to get there myself, but trying to not cheat yourself out of the love of it because of the business of it. Mm-hmm. That's one thing. The other thing is don't be afraid to treat it like a business because right. the if you own a furniture store or a record store or a, a a clothing store, if you put up a sign in your window that says, I'm sorry, we're sold out, it means that a lot of people are buying what you have. But artists don't want to sell out. So if you're going to treat it like a business, don't be afraid to write a 30-second jingle about how good right. Subway turkey sandwiches are. Right. <laughs> You know what I mean? But, yeah. but while you're yeah. doing that, write that song that means a million, right. that means the world to you. Right. But don't judge your success on the success of that song. Yeah. So so separating the art from the craft is mm. is the second part of that. And then I think the third part of it is, like I said, lift while you climb. You yeah, know, it, while that mm-hmm. while that climb is happening, you know, help people out because you're going to look around and you might need that help someday yourself. Okay, Drew, this was amazing. Um, We have so much more we need to cover with you, so we are going to have you back. No, I'm serious because we didn't get into all the – a lot of the stuff we wanted to get into, but um, we do have to wrap it up. We are going to close with one of your songs. Which song are we closing with? Uh, Whichever you'd like. Um, How about – Take It Slow. Okay, Take It Slow. This is is... the Live at 20 Front Street album that we released in March. Okay, and this is Drew Schultz, and you can find him on all social medias. We will have his link up on our page. And don't forget, the only mode of transportation available is the Leap of Faith. Thanks for taking the Leap of Faith with us. Take it slow, take it slow Take it slow
So let me show you guys a little bit of information about Motown drummers while Carlton is playing that. So we already talked about this groove that we hear so much, this thing of like a... Uh, but there are certain drum fills that we hear a lot, too. Tell me if you've ever heard this one. Raise your hand if you know this. Uh, one, two, one. You guys know that one? Mr. Benny Benjamin from the Funk Brothers was known for that quick stick work. Uriel Jones, Past the Biscuits. I'm talking about Past the Biscuits. <laughs> one more time. Yeah, Pistol Allen. And sometimes they'd have two drummers at a time on these tracks. But a lot of times they'd have even more guitarists. So Mr. Eddie Willis might play something like what Carlton is playing right now. Joe Messina might have given us some shanks. Yeah. Robert White might have given us this nice little melodic cross line. All on guitar. When you add in Mr. Dennis Carvey, you got some Motown right there. 